Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, week two in the books, and the Patriots have their first win of the season, 17-14 over the Steelers this weekend. I just got back from Pittsburgh, literally flight landed 40 minutes ago. Uh, We are recording here now just about 9 o'clock on Monday night, and I have stats, I have notes, I have played descriptions and diagrams and explanations and analysis, but if we're being honest with ourselves when we think about that game, it kind of went as expected. Now, I was of the belief and attitude that that game could have gone any number of directions. But if you put the proverbial Nerf gun to my head, I would have told you something like low scoring game over under 40. Still a little bit too high. Patriots sweep one out. They're just slightly better, not only at quarterback, but overall in terms of roster talent. And home field advantage, folks, isn't what it used to be. So a lot of respect for Pittsburgh. I had a great time. That stadium, that atmosphere is great. Not enough to help you when your quarterback is Mitch Trubisky. Now, we're going to run down a similar format to what we did last week, covering the Patriots' loss to the Dolphins. Some good, some bad, and with a mailbag. But a couple new segments. We have the good, we have the bad, we have the game balls after a win. I'll tell you what we have after a loss when we get back to a loss. And then what would NFL film say, uh, which was a a brainchild sitting on the tarmac in Pittsburgh for 55 minutes going, Okay, well, I don't have internet anymore, and I don't really know what else we're going to do. So let's make a new segment, and we'll get to that in a little bit, followed by, of course, the mailbag. Now, on to the good, because, look, I don't care how you get a win in the NFL. It could be ugly as hell. We saw teams snatch defeat from the jaws of victory three times across this week that were just insane collapses or comebacks, depending on how you look at it. The Patriots win. Celebrate. Be happy about this. And particularly in the way that they won, because when we start with the good, it feels weird to start with an area that yielded only four yards per carry. But the run blocking, my God, where was this all summer? Now, it's not because they averaged four yards per carry. It's because they erased the last six minutes and 33 seconds of this game as the Patriots basically choke Pittsburgh out. Now, The last few plays are really what did it there. Because when you look at the start of that drive, you know, you have a toss play, you have a run up the middle. Max scrambles a little bit as we go down the play-by-play here. But what really made it were those last few plays, which I want to run down here. Because Matt Patricia made some improvements, I think, from the Miami game. And specifically right here, the variety in the run game is what really unlocked those holes for Damian Harris to run through and put the proverbial final nail in the Steelers' coffin. So let's run down those last plays. Let's start at the end and work back to the beginning. First and 10 Patriots around the three-minute mark. 
You have a counterplay left that goes for six yards with Ramondre Stevenson, puts him at midfield. Counterplays for the folks at home. Yes, you got a pulling guard. Sometimes a tight end goes right behind him. The guard kicks out the edge guy on the line of scrimmage. The last man on the line of scrimmage for the defense, the guard meets him. So they're going counter left. Then they go power strong. Power, very similar. Guard pulling around. He goes up and hits a linebacker. Usually an offensive tackle or a tight end kicks out the end man on the line of scrimmage. If you see a guard coming up and through the hole that's been created, that's power. So that goes for eight yards, Stevenson two. Then they go power strong again, but to the left. So back and forth, they go with these similar plays that are very basic, but get an extra blocker out in front with these pulling guards, which is what we've been clamoring for after a summer spent wasted seemingly on outside zone. The last one, power strong left for Damian Harris goes 16 yards. You are cooking with gas at this point. So two minute warning, minus two yards, run stuffed up the middle. Second and 12. Okay, you know the Steelers, even if they get the ball back, are just going to have 20, 30 seconds. There's not a whole lot to do with that, even though at the end of the first half, they had 22 seconds and were still able to throw up a Hail Mary. So minus two yards up the middle. The last two plays also had pulling linemen, but this adjustment won them the game because they were actually zone plays. And if you've been listening to the podcast or watching it or seeing any sort of tweets or just not had your head in the sands, down at Carson Beach all summer, you know that outside zone is the most easily described as a play where you see all the linemen take one step at the snap laterally and they just block in that direction. You kind of take the first guy in your space. You're not assigned to a man. Everyone moves in unison going side to side. You're trying to create horizontal displacement. Well, on these two plays, the Patriots not only load up to the right side of the line of scrimmage, where we just talked about, you ran power strong to the right, uh, power strong to the left towards the tight end, they put the tight end on one side. Pittsburgh overlaps, overloads that line. Can we, can we talk? Overloads that side of the line of scrimmage. They think they know what's coming. It's a pulling guard in that direction, right towards the tight end. Instead, what happens is David Andrews snaps that ball. It is an outside zone play to the left, except David Andrews pulls around himself to give them numbers on the weak side of the formation where Pittsburgh had kind of backed off. They put Cam Hayward between David Andrews and the left guard Cole Strange. And to kind of control that, that side of the front, it was him, a linebacker, and then another guy on the end of the line of scrimmage. So by pulling around, David Andrews leaves Cam Hayward to Cole Strange, who pins him inside. Then you've got Trent Brown on the guy at the edge of the line of scrimmage, and Andrews coming around through the hole like power to cover the linebacker, Miles Jack, which he does. So that goes from second and 12 to third and three. It's a nine-yard game. Then the Patriots do that again because they line up in a similar way. If you look at pre-snap in these plays, Mac Jones is pointing to Jacoby Myers, who's on his right. He's pointing towards someone in the defense, still over to his right. And Pittsburgh's buying all of this because this small tweak to make outside zone look like a pull play, which it really is. It's called pin and pull. That's the, the tag or the adjustment they make to this play. Really unlock this because it gives Cole Strange a better angle on Cam Hayward, allows David Andrews to pull through. Trent Brown does Trent Brown things. And that's your weak side run. You don't need more blockers, okay? You just need the right angles and space and the right call. And these were actually zone plays, which they had been blocking unsuccessfully, but actually won them the game because of this adjustment where you had Cole Strange pinning the inside defender back towards right. Everyone else comes left, including David Andrews, who loops around, goes through a hole created by Strange, and then Trent Brown, who's kicking out the guy on the left side of the end of the line of scrimmage, all the way out, Andrews, the linebacker, see you, that's it. So Matt Patricia and that variety in the, in the run game, that unlocked that finish. A very small adjustment.
based on what Pittsburgh had done and that run blocking to execute in that manner after a summer where you had to ask permission if you were a Patriots offensive lineman to block anybody because you weren't moving anyone. Not the Giants when they came in here, not the Panthers in joint practices or the preseason, not the Raiders in Vegas for the game or joint practices, not really in Miami either. This was a run game that ran when it mattered most, zone and man to finish the game. That's where we have to start. Now, for the other good, we're actually going to stay offense because 17 points here felt a lot better than 17 points normally does. And that was thanks to Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers. So Aguilar has the Patriots' first 100-yard receiving game since 2020. Shout out Demir Bird. I have no idea. It is my job to know about the NFL. I have no idea where Demir Bird is. I'm pretty sure he signed with Atlanta, but even knowing that roster, I don't know if Demir Bird has flown their nest or if he's still there. Anyway, Aguilar has a 44-yard touchdown. We all saw it in the second quarter. It's a contested catch. Then he has a 25-yarder off an over route on play action in the third quarter. And in the opening drive, he had 16. That's where most of his yards come from. But the number I like best, it was not 44, it was not 25, it wasn't 16, it wasn't even his total catches, which we had him down for six for 110. It was two. Aguilar had two broken tackles, which was two-thirds of his total tackles, broken total. Can you tell I'm tired? Total tackles broken last year. He had three all of last season. He had two on Sunday. This was his most physical game. And for a guy who was not going to break a ton of tackles or get a lot of separation, he needs to win in those small moments, making contested catches and pulling away when he is in space to get a couple extra yards. Now, as for Jacoby Myers, he's a little quieter at nine catches for 95 yards, but he is doing some store brand Julian Edelman shit, let me tell you, because the first two third downs, right to him. Anytime Mac is in trouble or there's man coverage, he's looking to him. Like Nelson, he had four catches against man coverage and he got targeted six times. Nelson actually was four of four for 90 yards. But the fact that these two were able to beat man coverage, whether you're making contested catch or you're pulling away or you're just really refined with your route running like Myers is a very good sign for the Patriots offense. Because what happened was Devontae Parker was not just not good not average. He was very poor against man coverage and didn't have a catch today. Okay. Second straight week, he's been targeted and Mac Jones has thrown a pick, but he didn't have a catch when a ball was thrown his way. And last year, if any of the receivers, the three starters, Aguilar, Myers, or Kendrick Bourne had a bad day like Devontae Parker did, then that puts way too much on their plates, the other two, to carry the offense. Okay. Parker had a bad day. The Patriots still won. It wasn't a great offensive day, but the fact that Aguilar and Myers are showing progress from last year in Aguilar's case and Myers just steady Addy attitude, security blanket over the middle, again, nine catches, 95 yards is exactly what Mac Jones in this offense needs as it learns to walk again. So again, Jacoby Myers, not Julian Elliman, but store brand version of what he did, the unspectacular plays, the tough hits over the middle, bounces back up like Gumby. That's what he's doing. He's been the security blanket the last week, his words, not mine. He wants to be a security blanket. Check that box for Jacoby Myers. Okay, let's um, let's bring Unsexy back with this third part of the good. Defensive fundamentals, okay? Uh, fast forward, if you wish, this will only be a couple of minutes, but a few stats to highlight. The Patriots are, as they always want to do, doing their jobs. Three missed tackles. That's it. In week two, when across the NFL tackling is a problem, they only have three whiffs, and two of them belong to Mac Wilson. That's a great number. Two explosive plays allowed. 
one of which was a 23-yard ball to George Pickens along the right sideline. Like I mentioned, the end of the first half, Pittsburgh is trying to get downfield and get in position for Hail Mary. They do. It's really as harmless a 23-yard pass play as you could have because, of course, they don't get near it. And Mitch Trubisky's Hail Mary not only was not answered, but it felt like it was rejected from the heavens because that thing didn't even reach the 10-yard line. So one of those explosive plays was really harmless. The other was Gunnar Olszewski going for 18 yards and end around. So you hold an offense to two explosive plays. You only miss three tackles, and you only let Mitch Trubisky run one time. And this is a guy who we covered in our preview pod with Mike Giardi, 81 rushing yards and 51 after contact. The only way Mitch Trubisky was going to beat you is if it was outside of structure, okay? If he was scrambling, if he was extending plays, helping his receiver separate downfield, because that dude is not built to play and win from the pocket. They didn't let that happen. And if you go back and look, I'll tell you exactly the play that it was on. It was Pittsburgh's fifth offensive snap. It was on their second drive. It was an aborted shovel pass, which is, if you listen to last five, you know, Matt Canada, their offensive coordinator, has a shovel pass fetish, and the Patriots were all over it. All of the pet plays they had, shovel passes, mesh, it's a route concept. You have two shallow crosses that kind of intersect over the middle, okay? This game for defensively was about making Pittsburgh earn their yards downfield, okay? They knew Mitch Trubisky would hand the ball over, which he did with his interception, great play by Mac Wilson, and they would not be able to steadily go downfield if they didn't get a little help. They didn't give him any help. All the play action shots that were coming in early downs, anytime the Steelers got to midfield, this was, you could tell this by midway through the second quarter, they wanted to take a shot. It's where everyone wants to take a shot. This was one of the more unimaginative offenses I have watched in a long, 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 long time. So the Patriots just said, look, we'll keep you in front. Okay. We'll keep Trubisky in the pocket and we'll trust that we'll tackle. And it worked. So on to the bad. Um, Jalen Mills nitpicking here a little bit but the guy allowed five catches okay and we've we've spoken glowingly of him on this podcast he had some trouble with Deontay Johnson most of them are comebacks and deep outs it's not going to get you killed again you'd prefer not to have you know the out and up or a double move which used to get him burned all the time in Philadelphia and hasn't here in New England but five catches for your number one corner not great uh pre-step motion this goes back to the offense the Patriots according to ESPN rank dead last in number of plays where they're running offensively, they're snapping the ball with someone running across the formation, okay? Because motion generally, provided you're not committing some sort of penalty, is going to make it harder on the defense to understand where the strength of the formation is or sometimes who might have the ball if it's a jet sweep. The Patriots are doing none of that. It's somewhere around 4 to 5% of all of their offensive snaps have motion. Otherwise, it's static, okay? Now, you can still get the defense to tip its hand based on where you're aligning tight ends, or running backs, okay? But I think if I had to guess, this is part of the simplification and kind of weaning the players onto the new offense, learning what they're good at. Simplify, simplify, simplify. But you look at the teams at the top of that list. No accident. Of course, they have the best players. The Bills are up there. The Chiefs are in the top half. Okay, the Ravens. They're making it harder on defenses, creating creases with their pre-snap mo movement that show up post-snap because you have eyes in one spot and defenders going other way, the Patriots need to help out some of their receivers who are not separating and their offensive linemen who up until Sunday were not run blocking as well with a little motion, okay? Put some stress on the defense before the ball is snapped so that ultimately you can get an advantage post-snap. Last one, Devontae Parker. Um, for the bad, we already covered this. You know, he's been in the area of two interceptions and one reception so far this year. Not great, okay? And the Patriots treated him as an entrenched starter 
really until late in the second half when he and Laurel Jordan Humphrey rotated with Born Nagler as pairs around Jacoby Myers. Because this whole game, again, read this in you know full-on different version of what we're talking about here, my fill analysis at bostonherald.com. 97% of their offensive snaps were 11 personnel. This was three receivers, one tight end, one running back. That's it. Let's run it. Let's go. And they rotated some. And if you look at some of the splits for those snaps, Kendrick Bourne of his 24 snaps, um, 23 of them were pass plays. Okay. So when he was in the game, it's an obvious tell. It's a little different from little Jordan Humphrey, who's got a couple inches and a lot of pounds on him, who was run blocking on about 90% of his snaps. So both of them, depending on when they were in the game, it's not the same 11 personnel the entire time. There's a little bit of variation in there, but either way, Devontae Parker was in there more than everybody, but Jacoby Myers and did not produce. Right now, you can make an argument based on his tape. He is their fifth best wide receiver. I think we should see more. You've heard me say this plenty in this podcast. We know nothing in the NFL, but so far, Devontae Parker uh, off to a bad start. We can say that with certainty. Um, one extra point. Uh, good, but not great game for Cole Strange. Um, ben Fennell, who is an excellent film analyst and does, uh, he's a producer on a number of shows. I, I don't want to get all this wrong, but he's worked or does work at CBS, sometimes for ESPN, some stuff with the Eagles. Had a clip out of Cole Strange blocking um, Cameron Hayward a couple of times. Looked great. Really impressive, obviously, for a rookie against a guy like Cam Hayward. Ben could also be his agent because somehow this exploded more than any left guard's highlights have ever exploded on Twitter. And I think it gave this early impression Monday morning when you're looking to say, how could they possibly have just run the ball that well? They went Cole Strange's directions. Well, is that, as we've covered, you know, Cole kind of had an advantage. This isn't to knock him. He still executed the block. But if you're already on my right side and I need to push you further in that direction and I'm coming from your left, like, I've got, that's an advantage, okay? I got a head start on that. That's what Cole was doing there. Overall, Cam Hayward also stood him up at the start of that drive and at the goal line. So overall, he had a good game. It wasn't great. Not here to knock it. Just put it in context because you look to his left, Trent Brown had an outstanding game. That's a dude who gave up two sacks, quarterback hit and a run stuff in Miami against the Steelers, one quarterback hit and kicked some absolute ass in the running game. That's the last extra point. Hey guys, just a quick break to remind you something you already know. Football is back, and Bet Online is still your number one source for all your NFL and college football betting needs this season. Find all the latest odds, news, and game matchups right up to the minute at betonline.ag. It is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. It is always the fastest and always the easiest way to bet on your favorite sports, even beyond football. Look to the MLB playoffs, MMA, tennis boxing, and even golf. Yes, they're still playing golf out there. So head online to betonline.ag. Join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's 50%, Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Again, that's betonline.ag, where the game starts. Okay, game balls. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, you covered it. Most physical game as a Patriot. I would say his best game as a Patriot. Certainly statistically, again, six catches, 110 yards, and one touchdown. 44-yarder was also tied for the longest of his Patriots career. Trent Brown, same thing. We talked about it. Now, last game ball. Uh, Dietrich-wise, man, we – spoiler alert, I'm going to be writing a story about Dietrich this week, but he played 90% of the defensive snaps, which is just a, a preposterous number for a defensive lineman in this day and age. And especially this early in the season, you're playing a long game, you're playing in the heat, and he was over 80% last week in Miami. So this is a dude who is 
like all of those training camp cliches, but actually in the best shape of his life has a role maximizing it. He was the only Patriots defender with a run stop and a pressure against Pittsburgh. Not a lot of pressure, which could have gone on the bad, but you know, Trubisky again, which kind of found the uh, self-destruct button on his own. Okay. Uh, two more segments, you know, the mailbags at the end. Now to the new one. What would NFL film say? What I want to do here with this segment is just take a second and go, we've all seen the hour long specials on the Super Bowl seasons. Team wins, comes out, maybe the commemorative DVD, and they do all the music and the cutups and the radio calls and the highlights of every single game throughout the season. So when we think about these games and we talk about them 24 hours later, whatever it is, how are we going to remember this game? It's hard to know until that time passes, right? You know, like, you know, on the way to a championship, every, every game is just a step in the staircase that brought you all the way up. But I remember having, you know, being six years old, seven years old, having this VHS of the Patriots 1995 season, which if you weren't around, you want to look it up. They went five and 11, but the work that Steve Sable did at NFL films to portray this five and 11 season of this VHS that I probably wore out as a kid, because what else are you going to do when you love football and you're six, seven years old? It was magic. Like Drew Bledsoe was throwing picks in every highlight and it looks awesome. Okay. So the point is that they describe these games in a way, okay, they were, they were building blocks of the future. If not for the end of the season, when you win a championship or go to the playoffs or whatever it is. So when we look back at Miami, we, we don't know what the Miami game means in the 24 hours after it, but we can make a guess. Now what we could say is Miami was a game that, you know, made sense because how else was it going to go? Okay. That was a bad matchup for the Patriots. New offense wasn't good. They haven't played well down there in forever. Okay. They lose 20 to seven. They make a couple of bad mistakes is what it is. The Steelers. Now, if we had to think about the commemorative DVD of the 2022 Patriots season, we don't know where this is going, but if we had to guess about how they're going to so artfully describe that game, that dress up the 17 to 14 with no scoring over the last 14 minutes and 50 seconds, like what, what are the overarching voices, the voiceover guy going to say? So you know, something about kind of like they buckled down and needed most over those last six and a half minutes. They played keep away. They were bending steel of the Pittsburgh defense one hand off at a time. Then you cut to the, the Damian Harris runs and then Bob Sosi radio call of his last one going over the first down and the Patriots win. They celebrate locker room quote. It is on to Baltimore. I think ultimately this is a game where you kind of build your identity. I think that would be the point of what would NFL film say? This is where they said, we can close out a game, okay? We're probably going to be a defensive team, which also builds off of what we saw in Miami. Not winning the critical moments, but you'll have 13 offensive points down there, 14 to Pittsburgh, 13 and a half. That'll put you at the top of the rankings any year. But here in 2022, I think Steve Sable, the late Steve Sable, everyone who you know is now working at NFL Films would have something, something like that gritty, the way they ran it in Pittsburgh, a place where it's all about running a defense and found their identity. So um if you think that segment sucked just let me know but i <laughs> kind of like to think in the retrospective like what are we going to look back and say how would we shape this story anyway on the mailbag uh three questions from twitter this week um this one uh comes from ashley via twitter how would you assess the offensive play calling against the steelers i thought it was better uh, a couple calls like you know second and 10 runs don't love it that is a really low ceiling even low floor um you know, outcome and, and probability there when you're hearing it. I mean, you're just setting yourself up for third and medium and third and long. That's that's all that that is. So, you know, I like we we ran down the last sequence. I think what you saw from Patricia besides a really good finish was they adjusted sooner than they did in Miami. 
again, the Miami game, I think they played the game they expected, not the one they were engaged in because Miami didn't blitz as much. So they stayed away from play action in Pittsburgh. They only call play action five times around 13% of their offensive, their, their passing plays. But four of those came in the second half. So they see Pittsburgh's not bringing a lot of blitz pressure. And I asked Bill Belichick this actually this morning, Monday morning. I said, is that really anything more than just teams that blitz a whole lot? You don't want to run play action against because your quarterback's turning his back. And he's like, well, yeah. And also the defenders blitzing know what they're going to do. There's no biting on a fake. They're coming in to hunt for the quarterback. So that'll take the running back out from the fake. So there's no fake to be had because as soon as he sees a blitz, the running back is just going to go straight into protection. And then it, it just, you're just kind of wasting time at that point. Now, when the Patriots weren't wasting time was when they hit Nelson Aguilar, as we mentioned, 25 yard over out off of play action. They had an 11 yard check down to Damian Harris off of play action, these first downs. So Matt Patricia adjusted quickly. You're still somewhere in the kind of like C to B minus range. I mean, ultimately what you scored 17 points and another good starting drive. You're not finishing in the red zone. Mac Jones had a bad game. You could have done more motion to unstick your receivers. Like it's fine. I think the important part, like the offense as a whole, you saw progress, which was good. Um, this comes from B period or at Bader THFC on Twitter. Where are the tight ends? Okay. Obscure reference from the office incoming. This question, where are the tight ends? Reminds me of Michael Scott, early season four. Um, they're trying to take back gift baskets that he thought would win back clients. One of whom who had eaten chocolate turtles in the time that he had gotten the gift basket. And then they had left to go deliver others. And so Michael is soaked from having driven the car into the lake, comes back, sees the turtles are gone. Where are the turtles? He's just screaming this. Just perfect vintage Steve Carell. Where are the turtles? I read this as, where are the tight ends? Uh, well, as we covered, there was only one of them on the field at a time. Okay, They just said, we're not getting any advantage from playing Hunter Henry and John Smith together. Frankly, you didn't get much of an advantage from playing either of them at all because John Smith over three on targets didn't separate particularly well. Hunter Henry over two. He had a screw up on the first drive. You look at him, pat his chest and say, my bad after an incompletion. It, they didn't play particularly well. You know, Johnny Smith blocked better than Hunter Henry. He played about five more snaps than Henry did. But I think they just looked at this Pittsburgh defense, said they're a little bit soft in the secondary. Let's spread them out. Mac was in shotgun for virtually all these 97% of the offensive snaps. Let them read the defense, identify pressure better, and let's just play it that way. So in that instance, they decided uh, Devontae Parker or Al Galore, Kendrick Bourne, they were better off fielding one of them as a third receiver, or even little Jordan Humphrey, than Hunter Henry or John Smith. Last one, and no more office obscure references, though that probably going to sneak one into the next episode. Um, Pat's Kingdom via Twitter. Is there any realistic replacement for a win, or will we just have to stick with him for the rest of the year and just pray for the best? Ben, clasp those hands, get under knees because uh, he's sticking it out. I, I didn't have him as having a particularly good day. I have the, the notes right here. Um, two hurries allowed. He had a false start. And then the holding penalty, which some of these holding penalties are not all made equal. I'm not saying it was a tic-tac because it was not. But like, if the choice is I'll take 10 yards and it's my fault versus the quarterback gets his clock cleaned and might lose the ball, like you'll take the holding penalty. So not a good game. I think he played better. Um, and you're just going to have to stick it out because I think they've made nice and realize whether as they win or the Patriots are in office, you're better together for how long we'll see, but I think that'll at least be through the end of the season. Okay. Well, we have made it to the end of the episode. Um, the Patriots are on to Baltimore. We will have a full Friday pod. Also some old Vince Wilfork stories, because if you're going to the game on Sunday, they're going to honor Vince Wilfork at halftime. He's getting inducted 
the Patriots Hall of Fame. I think that's Saturday outside the stadium beforehand. It's free. It's awesome to hear them give the speeches. Um, I was there for Rodney Harrison's, uh, Richard Seymour's, and we're going to have Karen Garrigan on to tell some old Vince Wilfork stories and another guest to help preview the game with the Patriots and Ravens, which like the Ravens, uh, the Patriots and Steelers, always a good time, always a close game. So until then, um, enjoy the week, enjoy the win, and we will see you on Friday.